Good afternoon and welcome aboard. Happy Wednesday to you. John McGinnis with you. KPK News Radio live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app and your smart speaker. Hope you're having a great Wednesday. And I'm looking through the, uh, the national news, looking at all the leads, looking at what's important, what people are following. And so I'm budgeting time accordingly. And the, uh, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, that's way high on the list, number one. Seems like everybody's covering that. So I budgeted the appropriate amount of time for that story that I think is warranted, given the nature of who's involved, what it is, what it means to you and me and everybody else. Now, bear in mind, we are dealing with a, a period of time in which we have runaway rampant inflation, increasing crime and violence, uh, the, a real potential concern, at least, as to the, po- pot- uh, the possibility of a, a world war. And so here's all the time I have for that. Okay, next. Uh, so then I look at other things that, uh, that are leading stories, and they have the, the royal family's jubilee uh, coming up this weekend. Okay, I, w- I was looking desperately for something that mattered less to me than the, uh, the Johnny Depp trial, and I found it. So scratch that off the list. Now I'm going to take, take a look at something else. By the way, we've got a full program today with uh, a couple of uh, very, very important people we're going to chat with this afternoon. Of course, it is election season. You're going to be making choices soon if you've not done so already. Uh, but first, I want to talk about just a very, very quick, uh, I, I think it's it's very interesting dive into what is going on at Tesla. Um, arguably, uh, the, the preeminent uh, successful enterprise in this country, and you can love or hate Elon Musk. Uh, I, I, I am not in either camp. I'm, I'm interested in what he does and how he does it and the success he's had. But he, he now appears to be, this is per the Washington Post, uh, over the idea of remote work. He doesn't want that any longer. The Tesla and SpaceX CEO sent an email to employees at both companies yesterday saying, get this, everyone must spend at least 40 hours per week in the office. If you don't show up, we'll assume you've resigned. That's according to an email that, uh, to Tesla workers, which was posted online, the contents of which were uh, confirmed to the Washington Post by a Tesla worker, who spoke on the condition of anonymity because the message was internal. Um, The quotation is, the more senior you are, the more visible must be your presence. There are, of course, companies that don't require this, but when the uh, the last time they shipped a great new product, um, that was a question that uh, that Musk uh, threw out in the email. He also sent a similar email to SpaceX workers, which was obtained by the Post. Another similar email went to Tesla executives with the subject line, Quote, remote work is no longer acceptable, end quote. Uh, this, uh, this was shared on Twitter by a Tesla investor and reshared by uh, another account. Musk responded to a tweet asking what he would say to people who think coming to work is uh, an antiquated concept and appeared to uh, confirm the executive mail. Um, people threw questions out like, uh, hey, Elon, a lot of people are talking about this leaked email. Any additional comment to people who think Coming into work is an antiquated concept. Um, this is uh, less than we ask of factory workers. If there are particularly exceptional contributors uh, for whom this is po- impossible, I will review and approve those exceptions directly. Moreover, the office must uh, be a main Tesla office, not a remote branch uh, office unrelated to the job duties. For example, being responsible for Fremont Factory Human Relations but having your office be in another state. That's uh, from Elon Musk. Um, they should not pretend to be w- to work somewhere else, he responded. Musk said in one of his emails to Tesla employees that he would uh, hand-approve exceptions to work remotely for, quote, particularly exceptional contributors, though he did not explain uh, that category further. Uh, the Tesla worker who spoke with the Post said some groups of employees expect to continue to be exempt from returning to the office. 
Tesla recruits heavily from Silicon Valley's vast pool of software engineers, workers who have been granted perks such as free meals and flexible work. Some were under the impression that their status would not change. Musk's hard-driving policies on remote work fly in the face of workplace culture at social media company Twitter, which the uh, billionaire is working to buy for about $44 billion. That deal is expected to close later this year, and already employee tensions are running high about coming uh, the coming leadership change. Twitter was one of the first large companies in 2020 to announce that workers could continue to work from home forever. The company is known for a flexible workplace where employees regularly work from home, the office, or on the go. Musk's companies are better known for rigid, process-based workplaces. Uh, the entrepreneur pushed back against the shelter-in-place orders in the early months of the coronavirus pandemic, but told employees they could stay home if they felt uneasy. I think a lot of people fell in that category. There's a uh, an element of flexibility when you're dealing with extraordinarily challenging circumstances. Still, two Tesla workers said at the time they received termination notices alleging a failure to return to work, after they chose to take unpaid leave in May of 2020. And in Shanghai this week, Tesla told factory workers they would need to stay isolated at the facilities to prevent the spread of the virus, according to Bloomberg News. So in his email to Tesla executives, Musk called on the managers to get back in the office 40 hours a week. This is less, uh, as he opined elsewhere, this is less than we ask of our factory workers, he wrote. So all of this is very interesting, and I think some of the benefit that has come from um, from working remote during the the apex of the pandemic, uh, it did it did kind of show that you could get things done. I think in some enterprise it works just fine, and certainly for ongoing uh, function of of a work environment, uh, there can be exceptions. If you have people with sick kids, or they themselves have the case of the sniffles, they don't want to spread, but they can. There's there is an option now for people whose uh, whose presence is better somewhere other than the office, I, I think that's legitimate. But what about the the expectations of the employer? What about some of the other things that go with it? What about the benefits to the employee of, uh, of working with other people in a work environment, having a social relationship with others, uh, having, I mean, all sorts of things, extracurricular activity, including uh, athletic, uh, uh, softball leagues, uh, lunches, uh, nights out, uh, different kinds of theme gatherings that people do in the workplace that I, I think is a very, very healthy part of the work experience and uh, causes people to get to know their, their peers uh, in a completely different capacity. And my sense is it's been very positive. And I happen to come from a couple of different workplaces where there were long-term relationships formed, and it worked out just fine. So uh, what do you think about that? Do you think uh, Elon Musk is, uh, is wrong on this? My, my feeling is that he knows what he needs to have done, and he did leave enough uh, potential for exception to uh, to say, hey, if if you have a problem, if you have a specifically articulated problem, uh, voice it, and we will do what we can to to work around that. I, I suspect that will be a much more common scenario going forward in a, a not any number of workplaces. But the long term benefits, the health of the organization, the uh, the social environment, uh, the team concept that comes out of people. Showing up at the same workplace, I think, has uh, has a measurable benefit uh, to all parties involved. Um, very curious to see how this plays out in the uh, in the coming weeks, months, and years. But um, uh, the the benefit, I truly believe, is that has, this has identified a, um, a an option. In fact, multiple options for people trying to balance work, home life, responsibilities with family. 
uh, responsibilities themselves if they have uh, uh, some kind of a bug that they don't want to pass on to others and shouldn't pass on to others. So it'll be interesting to see. 800-834-1530. Much more conversation coming up, including a chat with the undersheriff who just came from a uh, Sheriff's Academy graduation. We're going to talk about that, some of the specific details coming out of that, and what's the future of law enforcement and public safety. All that coming up. Don't go away. Welcome back. Thanks for staying on board. John McGinnis with you. KPK News Radio, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app and your smart speaker. I am humbled and honored and really, truly happy to have in studio uh, a man I have uh, holding the highest regard, uh, the undersheriff of Sacramento County, Jim Barnes, who is, uh, has just uh, completed his, uh, his participation in an academy graduation. And, and that people ask the question all the time. And, you know, how are you recruiting law enforcement officers these days? And, and, and I know that there are challenges. It's not uh, as, it all, as it has always been, but you seem to be in a, u- a unique position with the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office. And so far as you're recruiting uh, people, you're bringing people into the academy, you're also hiring a lot of folks from other agencies. It does not look as though there are any challenges associated, uh, specific challenges or significant challenges, according with, uh, as it relates to filling the ranks within the organization. Is that a safe statement? That is a safe statement. So t- tell us a little bit about the, uh, the graduation. By the way, all, my, all the things I did, all the fun stuff I got to do, all the life and death, uh, you know, pressure experiences I had, it, swearing new graduates uh, from the academy in as, as deputy sheriffs is very, very, very high on the list in terms of those things that bring about personal gratification. You kind of get a glimpse uh, into their young lives starting out a journey that you've already sub- covered substantial territory on. And uh, and I don't know if you have that experience. Does it touch you the same way? No, it does. You know, I think today where the excitement comes from is it it, it, it kind of grounds you and makes you remember where you came from. You know, we yeah. it was at the Scottish Rite Center and, you know, 24 years ago, that's where I graduated. And so it brought back a lot of memories. But to see the pride, the excitement and the the recruits that come through notice notice or they accomplish something great. You know, they went through six months of intensive training. They have a, a class video that they played and it talks about their journey and just the connections and the relationships. And even hearing about each of the recruits, uh, their family people, you know, their parents, uh, their husbands, wives at are, and wanting to come into this profession right now is it's for me, it's inspiring because when we talk about what does the future look like in law enforcement, uh, it was special this morning. It was great to be part of. And it's interesting to see that you've got a very, very, very diverse group of people and uh, a lot of the educational love, uh, experience coming into the academy and the life experience, even international life experience. It's, uh, it's very impressive. And I can tell you that about 40 years ago plus, uh, when I graduated the academy, there, there was, we didn't have that. It was uh, pretty much a, a predictable group of people filling the ranks. Uh, so you actually had a chance to be present for the swearing in of, of new people starting that journey. And uh, you fell in the ranks. And I understand you're also in the process of hiring significant numbers of people from allied agencies who are just looking for a different experience, uh, arguably a better experience. No, that's correct. And I think that goes to show uh, the reputation the sheriff's office has is when you have people from other agencies who want to come and work for your agency, uh, that speaks volumes. They, they, they're either communicating with the officers or personnel inside the organization that talk about what a family environment it is and how great it is to work. That's the recruitment tool. Um, and when you look at the academy and you talked about the diversity and just looking at the families coming up and the excitement and the pride, it was it was really inspiring. And I had a, it was a lot of fun. And it's one of my favorite times. You're not sitting in an office. You're not answering yeah. phone calls. You're getting to watch people, you know, chase their dreams and change their stars. And it, it was fun to watch. And uh, does, is there any conversation? Uh, did you have a chance to talk to any of the recruits uh, about how, how things have changed? It's a different environment, a different world. Is that uh, do you sense 
trepidation on the part of uh, any of the recruits or probably more likely their families as they go into this field? No, yeah. As you know, as the graduation completes, we all walk around and welcome to the, you know, to the team right. and also the family. And we talk about uh, the families and it is a families. The parents are a little concerned. You see what's going on across the nation. And, you know, unfortunately, there's officers getting killed in the line of duty. And that's that's the fear. But uh, this is their world that they grew up in. And this is what they know. And to hear officers now come in and say that they want to be part of the change they want to see is, is exactly what I'm hopeful for law enforcement moving forward. And it's a very, very, it's a great experience. And I'm so thrilled to know that uh, in spite of what's happening elsewhere, uh, you have people who are uh, taking the, the the steps necessary in a very, very competitive environment to get into the academy, to complete the academy, and to go uh, serve their community, as well as uh, being finding yourself in a position where you can very successfully uh, recruit. Not that, I know you're not poaching from other agencies, right. but they're looking at options. And I, I think the size, scope, breadth of the sheriff's office is a part of that, but also the culture, the uh, the the manner in which uh, personnel are treated and the, uh, the the goodwill that exists there. I think uh, kudos to you and and the rest of the leadership team there. I think it's uh, it's phenomenal. Uh, you also shared with me that you had a chance to uh, to be uh, explain a little something to county government in terms of a mobile mobile crisis resource. Tell me about right. that. Yeah, the mobile crisis support team is you know it, right now in the sheriff's office we have a clinician that rides with a, a police officer in, in a unit. You know, in a marked unif- excuse me, marked patrol vehicle, and uh, it, it's it's neat to see where that program started in 2015 when I was in South Patrol. You know, we talked about having a clinician, and it was the first time we actually added a peer navigator, someone with lived experience with mental health, drug addiction, that is actually connecting resources to individuals that we're contacting. So the clinician and the officer will contact the individual. The peer navigator comes back and does the follow-up work. And it's magical to watch because when they show up on a call where someone's experiencing crisis, you know, the officer's there for safety, but then all of a sudden it's like a dance. The officer moves back, the clinician moves in, gets him connected to services and the resources. And I think what that does is it provides a layer of safety and security to that individual that called because now they know a clinician's there and it's not just a law enforcement officer looking to evaluate whether you're you're going to be on a 5150 hold go to jail or whatever. We actually have someone that's going to connect them to resources and maybe even drive them to an appointment that they can connect right then. So the clinician is a, is a uh, postgraduate level trained and educated uh, expert in therapy, counseling, uh, whatever the dome is. But these other navigators you reference, do they have a uh, do they have a certificate or they how are they selected? Somebody who has lived the the uh, I, I guess the life of suffering, right? Yes. So they're vetted through behavioral health and as far as what type of work that they want to do. Um, are they in a stable position right now to be able to provide that? Because if you have someone with lived experience speaking with someone who's going through crisis, uh, that connection is much stronger because they've seen someone who's come through it, has, has risen through it, and uh, is now helping them through some of the challenges they've experienced themselves. So it's been it's been fun to watch the program grow. You know, seven years later, here we are. 2022, and we're looking at how do we regionalize this? You know, there's other agencies that have adopted this concept. You know, Elk Grove has done that. Citrus Heights has done it. Folsom is doing it. And it just goes to show in the community that there's a need for the clinicians to be there. So what is the reaction on the part of the patrol deputies that are going to have these clinicians? I I assume it's the clinician that rides on a regular basis, right? Yeah, it's a full-time basis uh, from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. that they're able to ride and, and look for calls that if they're pending calls for service, it may come in as a disturbance. But as they look into the call, there might be a mental health component to it. And that, that team will respond instead of an officer going to respond to evaluate it. And so they're able to triage and actually lower calls for service for our officers so they can focus more on crimes in progress and not go to someone who's suffering you know, from a mental crisis. 
So, and I, so I'm assuming that uh, therefore the uh, the field troops are supportive of it. They like the plan. They they welcome the clinicians. They do. I'll tell you when it first started, there was with a raised eyebrow because sure. I would say 24 years ago, if you'd have told me that we would have clinicians yeah. riding in you know police cars with uh, police officers, I'd say I don't know if we'd ever get there. But there's a need for it in the community. There's a call for it, and we're excited to be part of it. But now I, I joke with the officers. I think they're getting free therapy for 10 hours as they're, as they're driving <laughs> around. Uh, but no, it, it's been great, and it's even better. We know it's working and successful that when it's a dedicated officer that has to apply for the position, that when they move on to another assignment, there are many people lined up in line to take that assignment. That, that tells me it's working. So that's, uh, for the benefit of the audience, that's something that used to be called a blue sheet position. So you actually have to apply for it. You have to have your performance evaluations rated and, and other factors as, to your, as it relates to your suitability for a specialized job. There is a popular demand for that. Absolutely. And even, even using the clinicians, if we have a major tactical call out a barricaded subject, we're utilizing those clinicians to help with the negotiators to find out if there's words that are triggering this individual, they communicate effectively to get a, a successful outcome. Well, you can't just hope for change. You've got to take the steps necessary to make it happen. So Under Chef Jim Barnes is here with us, and I'm going to ask you to stick around if you don't mind through the bottom of the hour news. i got more questions for you. Don't mind at all. Don't go away. We're coming right back. Welcome back. Thanks for staying on board. John McGinnis with you. KPK News Radio live everywhere in the iHeartRadio app and your smart speaker. Uh, I have the pleasure of having in studio the undersheriff of Sacramento County, Jim Barnes. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that come up uh, in the last week, especially a horrific week uh, in terms of destruction. And we, obviously, Uvalde, Texas, a place that not many of us thought about before. Uh, and the questions that are being asked, and, and, it, uh, and, and I, see, I have absolute empathy for the law enforcement leadership who's coming in to clean up a big mess there, frankly. To what degree of confidence uh, should people feel comfortable in Sacramento County uh, that they won't, uh, obviously, the potential for people to do horrific things? We've seen that recently at a, at a church shooting, a, school, a, a supervised visitation, where obviously the tragedy just, just speaks for itself in terms of the loss of innocent lives including a chaperone that was there uh, to make sure this this was a safe uh, exchange. Uh, to what degree of satisfaction do you have and confidence do you have that your folks are sufficiently trained and, and prepared to interact with allied agencies to ensure to the greatest extent possible that this kind of a, a grand-scale assault could not happen? No, I, you know, I, I would hope the community would feel comfortable knowing the training that we get is is first class. We put on regional training, not only with other law enforcement, you know, allied agencies, but also uh, fire personnel because we want to do trauma response as well. Uh, but the training that we get, it, we proved that you just mentioned the church shooting. When we showed up, as we showed up, we were told it's an active shooter situation. And someone from SAC PD showed up by the same time. There was no hesitation. The officers went inside to clear the room, found out he had taken his own life, and then they decided to back out and then they secured the scene and rendered to who they could uh, but that's that's training we've been doing for a long time the old tactic that what we saw in texas that was that was the old tactics early yeah. when i came on now it's if it's active if you're there by yourself you go in and you address the threat and uh, do your best to stop it yeah the uh, actually it was columbine that really changed the uh, the scope on that and when i first started too the, the the expectation was you stand by for sufficient resources to make sure that you can safely uh, attack the the environment, but that all changed. And and way back when, I, I know we started the process of training people, extensive training, redundant training, to go over and over again to make sure that everybody's lined up to do the right thing, take the right course of action, recognizes the re- recognize the resources you have at your disposal. And I really truly believe that not only the sheriff's office, but uh, allied agencies, law enforcement agencies in this county, um, it, it would be a completely different uh, outcome had that uh, kind of threat. 
uh, befallen the people of Sacramento County or any of the communities therein. And I hope and pray that never happens. But if so, I really, truly believe, based on decades of, uh, of training to that potential outcome, uh, that, that uh, we're in, in very good shape. It's not to say that there wouldn't be casualties, but this number of casualties and the law enforcement resources available not, uh, not engaging, I just cannot envision that scenario taking place uh, in this region. I can confidently say that would not happen here in Sacramento County. The law enforcement leaders saw long ago the need for additional training and get state-of-the-art training, and, and everybody buys into it. So when we do the training, it is everybody in the region that comes. We don't just do tabletop exercises. These are large-scale events that are done at usually at schools or other venues where there's actually actors, and then we have people in different levels of triage and be able to identify them and get them the aid that they need with, with trauma medics. Uh, it, it's exciting to see, even though it's a scenario, I will tell you, it gets a blood pumping it and it gets a, you get high blood pressure real quick, but it's the type of stress we want people to feel so they can uh, act appropriately when needed. Yeah, it's, it's amazing uh, the impact, the physiological impact in a training scenario where you know, you know you're walking out of there alive because it's training, but it's very real and it takes over. Even the... Uh, the uh, the electronic interactive shooting scenarios uh, it it does it gets the palm sweating and the heart rate going and and all many not all but all many of the uh, the physiological reactions that a person has to real life danger so uh, it's interesting you mentioned the uh, the 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 school sh- the church shooting rather from not too terribly long ago here and I have made the observation and by the way by full disclosure under Sheriff Barnes is a candidate for sheriff in the election coming up next Tuesday and I am a uh, a, a very very proud an enthusiastic endorser of your campaign. Uh, I want the public to know that. Uh, but that, that incident unto itself that was carried out by a man who should have been dealt with, should have been in custody in some form or fashion on that occasion because he was arrested for DUI in Merced County the week prior. He was in the country without the benefit of law. And historically, that person would have absolutely been in custody on that occasion. And at least on that particular occasion, those kids and the chaperone would have been safe. Um, and and I'm, I, I make this observation as somebody who is, is a, uh, a profound and vocal supporter of immigration. I, I believe thoroughly in immigration. That's what built this great nation. That's what we need going forward. But done through a systematic process that does cover the checks and balance and deal with people legitimately uh, that pose a threat to the safety of the community. Uh, your opponent was a principal co-author of uh, the Sanctuary State Bill, you have any thoughts, any commentary on that? Well, you know, I, it's one thing. I think bills are introduced with good faith, and, and everybody goes forward and moving forward. But when it has created controversy and chaos in our communities and death, how have we not gotten back to the table to rewrite it and find a way to make it more, put some safeguards in for the community? But it hasn't. It continues going down the road, and we see these tragic incidents happen not only in our locally, but in our region and the nation. And we continue to just let it happen. And so I think for me, I think that's a big difference between my opponent and myself. Um, I'm a protector. I always have been, and that's why I'm going to stay. You know, it's interesting. You're an old football player and a co- football coach. <laughs> I, didn't mean, I didn't mean the old part. You're, you are. You are. <laughs> it's true, too. <laughs> and and so, so you have developed uh, plays, and you've, you've had passion about uh, executing those plays, and sometimes those plays don't work out. So you go back to the huddle, and you regroup, and you take a different course of action. Why do we have such recalcitrance in public policy and law uh, from the from the legislator's perspective, where they can't say, "Hey, this was a maybe a well-intended mistake." You're charitably calling it that. I'm not so sure. 
nonetheless, why why do you suppose it is that we can't say this was a mistake? We need to redirect. Well, I think it comes down to the the party line politics. If you, if you speak out against it, then you're going to be uh, alienated in a way. When as opposed to what we should do for the community, when we took that oath, is get in behind in behind closed doors in a room and work through these issues. But a lot of people aren't even willing to come to the table to even address it. They move on and they'll run to the next podium and say it's. You know, stricter gun laws. Well, we need to start working on these key issues right now and to put these safeguards in for our community because they're calling for it and they're tired of what they're seeing. Yeah. Public safety first. Under Sheriff Jim Barnes, thanks for your time, sir. It's always great to see you. Any final thoughts? No, just thank you for letting me be part of the conversation. If you want to learn more, JimBarnesForSheriff.com. I appreciate it. We are six days away from this, and we feel good about it. I did not know how you were going to get that in, but you did it. Thanks very much for your time, <laughs> sir. appreciate it. Thank more you. conversation coming up with another candidate for office in Sacramento County right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Thanks for staying on board. John McGinnis with you. KPK News Radio live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app and your smart speaker. we got uh, breaking news out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. The, uh, there was a, a shooter at a hospital in the medical unit. Uh, the good news is he, is, uh, he has been neutralized by the police. He's no longer alive. Uh, but there are um, uh, multiple, I don't know exactly how many, shooting victims. So stay with KPK to get updates on that as it uh, as it develops. In the meantime, I have the pleasure of having in studio uh, Patrick Hume, who uh, you may know as a member of the Elk Grove City Council. Not the very first council, but I guess the second uh, batch to come in, second class of council members in Elk Grove. Uh, now a candidate for the Sacramento County Board of Supervisors, District 5. And uh, you got challenges. Uh, by the way, welcome to the conversation, sir. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, what, what, I mean, as I look to the future, Sacramento County is, it looks a little different than it did, uh, back prior to 2014 ish. I see some deterioration. Uh, in other words, I think you got your work cut out for you. Are you seeing, you have some of those same concerns? I do. And it's, uh, it's been a societal issue, uh, recently, obviously gets magnified, I think in, in more urban settings, but as it bleeds out into the suburbs, it becomes more front of mind, uh, for people. And certainly it's on the mind of the electorate right now. So how, how do you, how do you resolve that? That's all. That's all I want you to do is just resolve a simple question. Yeah, so what do yeah. I do in the first 100 days? Uh, well, I think there's a couple of things. And we, as you know, we have some hurdles in our way. And, and we're speaking specifically about homelessness, I think, right now. Um, there are judicial hurdles. There are uh, legislative hurdles. There are policy hurdles. And, uh, you know, as your last guest was, was mentioning, we have to go back and look at some of the things that aren't working for us anymore. You know, when the, uh, the series of Lanterman Acts were put into place in the late 1960s. They referenced chronic alcoholism as one right. of the things for which we cannot intervene. I think alcoholism is a very different disease than what happens when people are under the influence of meth or fentanyl or opioids. And so we don't have legislation that speaks to current day issues. So I'm assuming that you'd like to see some changes, modifications to some of the recently passed laws uh, that, that have ta- really limited the ability to, to bring enforcement consequences to bear when people are living a lawless lifestyle. And by the way, not enjoying their own life either. So uh, some would suggest that if you want to force people or strongly encourage them with the power of law to change their ways, that you lack compassion. I, you, I've known you a while. I, I don't see a guy that doesn't have uh, actually quite a lot of compassion. Are you not a compassionate guy? <laughs> quite the obvious, or I mean, quite the opposite. There's, there's nothing compassionate about allowing someone to to live that lifestyle outdoors. Um, we, we, the, the, the difficulty becomes how do we intervene on their behalf when they don't want our help and in some cases don't even know that they need our help. And so those are the issues that we're going to have to bridge the gap is that, is that saying no is no longer an option. Um, 
Yeah, I, I know a lot of local governments, and I haven't, uh, this may not surprise you, but I have not taken a deep dive into the Elk Grove City budget, uh, but I know many local governments have been infused with uh, with national money, the last uh, federal funds, taxpayers' money, coming into the local jurisdictions the last several years. I, I, I can foresee... Uh, Something on the horizon where, where that, uh, that money is now not uh, coming in as it did and expenditures are going up and people, uh, whether they're in uh, public policy, managing bu- public budgets or their own resources, tend to, I, I think, perhaps forget uh, the potential cruel days ahead. Are you concerned about the, the fiscal health of the county of Sacramento going forward? And how would you address that, assuming you are? Uh, absolutely. You should always have that front of mind. And when you're talking about an agency that has a seven and a half billion dollar annual budget, um, you know, those are real dollars, yeah. uh, as they say. And so, uh, you know, I think when you're when you're looking at uh, a 12,000 person organization, obviously uh, human nature is that there's some cartilage that's going to build up over time. Yeah. And I think you need need to take a, a hard look at, at whether things can run more effectively and more efficiently. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I don't. I, by the way, I've heard from people that have served with you, uh, not in your city, but on other uh, local elected uh, councils and boards, uh, and have had the, the experience of working with you on some regional uh, endeavors that, that you kind of you kind of cut to the chase. Uh, not, not rudely, but you're, you're in time to, inclined to respect time and get right to the point and make a decision. Uh, that, I think, is a tremendous breath of fresh air for a bloated, slow, unwieldy uh, government entity that is the County of Sacramento. Is, uh, do you see that the same way? Yeah, I'm not a fan of word salads. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll speak my mind. I try to deliberate openly and honestly and transparently so that at the end of the day, you know why I'm reasoning the way that I am. And if we agree to disagree, we can do so civilly. So you, know, you got to be my enemy if we disagree, right? Aren't we just mortal enemies? That's right. To I, I must destroy you so your uh, <laughs> pervasive uh, ideology doesn't infect other people. Uh, that, that's what I see so much of now. And uh, again, the, 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 the slow... Uh, unwieldy, excruciatingly painful pace at which government works is, I think, is annoying to many, many people, uh, including some who have are right there with it, part of it, and, and perhaps don't recognize a path to a more efficient way of doing business and establishing policy. Is, have you found yourself in that position on your local council uh, where you need to kind of get things moving in a, in a more affirmative way? Absolutely. I mean, I think it, people try to uh, talk themselves into justifications to back up the decision that they've reached. Um, but, you know, for me, I like to uh, I like to just set the issues out as best as I can, uh, try and find consensus if I can gather it and then and then move on. What uh, what do you see as uh, your first uh, your first hundred days? What are, what are your priorities going to be? It's going to be a, uh, assuming this all works out. It's going to be a cold uh, January day when you take office, right? Is it that, would be. Yeah. 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 Uh, what uh, what do you see going forward? That's a great question. I, I would like to think that because I have served with uh, all of the uh, current supervisors in different regional capacities on other boards, um, obviously I'm coming in as a known entity. I'm coming in with a certain familiarity of a lot of the issues that we'll be facing. So I, I, I think it'll be a fairly seamless, smooth transition. Um, and then it's uh, digging, rolling up the sleeves and digging in and, and getting down to the real work of trying to, uh, again, take back our streets for, for our taxpayers and for our residents and and so our families feel safe again uh, to, to have a more meaningful impact on, on homelessness, to uh, spur economic recovery and, and, and buttress our small businesses. Um, and then, you know, uh, maybe in the next 100 days, you get to work on uh, dealing with the organizational uh, structure and the culture. And obviously, it's, it's a part of every conversation these days, uh, crime and violence uh, on the uptick. Yeah. Uh, where does that register on your uh, personal meter, your scale? 
Well, it's number one or number two. I mean, uh, you know, we've we've have some things that have been enacted recently, Prop 47, Prop 57, uh, particularly, you know, and you look at people like uh, Kate Tibbetts uh, right. and Emma Rourke, they should still be alive today. Right. Uh, and the and the people that committed those heinous crimes should never have been moving amongst us uh, unaccounted for. Right. And uh, so I think we've got to uh, take a, a serious look at how, you know, in, in the crime prevention world or in the, in the law enforcement world, and you know this certainly as well as anyone, there are three P's, prevention, prosecution, and punishment. Right. And I think we've dropped the ball on the last two. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, yeah, you, I think you're, uh, you're well positioned to, to do a, a fine job. I have had a chance to, uh, to interact with you some in your early days on the council and see how you work, how you prioritize things. The way you treat people, yeah, uh, and I and I've frankly I'm as impressed with your treatment of other human beings when you disagree with them uh, more so than I am when you do agree with them because you still uh, understand that their ideas are worth considering and you treat them with an abundance of respect and dignity. That's how we're supposed to do business, right? That's that's the expectation, and it's a part of I think the recent casualties uh, losses that we've had as a society. So that's all I'm asking you to do is fix all that. That's all. That's all. You can do it, right? That's the highest compliment you could have paid me. Thank you. (laughs) Patrick Hume, candidate for Board of Supervisors in Sacramento County, with my uh, absolute hard uh, support. Appreciate your time very much. Appreciate what you do, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thanks very much. Hey, that's it for us, but stick around. you got the lovely and talented Kitty O'Neill coming up next with the afternoon news. I will see you right back here in this spot tomorrow. Have a great one.